Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. As I mentioned before, it's Friends and Family Day, and this is also Thanksgiving week. And yeah, with that comes a lot of different things. With it being Thanksgiving week, some of you will have the opportunity to be surrounded by your friends and family members that maybe you haven't seen in a long time. Others of you will have the burden of being around some of your friends and family that you haven't seen in a long time. I want to help prepare you for what you're getting ready to walk into as well. And let me just say this as well. This is, we're, we're entering into the actual Christmas season. Let me just say that again. The actual Christmas season. Because if you put up your tree on November 1st, repent. We will have the altars open. You can receive prayer at the end of service. We can help you deal with those traumatic moments in your soul that cause that. But it's an exciting time. I recognize it's an exciting time for many. I also recognize that it's a season of hardship, reminders of loss, all of those things in this season. And so if you need help as you're walking through things, let me just say this, don't walk through it alone. If you're in pain, don't suffer in pain alone. Open it up to people that can help you walk through the things that you're walking through. This morning we're gonna look at a story. And it's a story in the Bible that makes a number of different points and hopefully I can explain them as clearly as I need to. But many of us, these stories have a way of revealing things about human nature that we need to know about ourselves that we need to know. But it also has a way of revealing things about God that we need to know. Let me help you with this. If you want to know what is God like, how does God think, what's important to God, if you want to know how God is, look no further than Jesus. Because Jesus out of his own mouth to one of his disciples said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, if you've seen me, in other words, he wasn't saying I am the Father. What he was saying was this, I am a direct reflection of the Father. I am the Father's Son. So if you have seen me and you see how I am, then you see how God is. So if you want to know what God thinks, what's important to God, how does God feel about certain things, look no further than Jesus. And if you want to know how Jesus feels about things, open up his word. Open up the Bible. These stories tell us the heart of God. They tell us the nature of God. They tell us what's important to him. And so I want to read just such a story to you this morning. This man, Jesus, the God-man, a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man all at the same time. He was not 50-50. He was not half and half. He was all God and all man. So if you want to know how God is and what God thinks, Look no further than Jesus. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. This is what it says. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Now let me pause there for a moment because the Bible gives us little details that we read over many times, but these 
These details are significant because they they tell us something about the story that we need to know. The Bible says that Jesus was going toward Jerusalem. Now Jesus for three, three and a half years had traveled around ministering, preaching about the kingdom of God all around Israel, all in areas like Samaria. He was there proclaiming the good news, the kingdom, the gospel, He was telling them that the kingdom they had been waiting for was now here. It was coming. And so he traveled all about doing these things and Jesus was from Nazareth, right? And Jesus, his disciples and followers all from this region called Galilee. Now, when Jesus, this story is him after he's left Galilee. And he had left Galilee now for the last time because he was heading to Jerusalem. He'd gone to Jerusalem before, but this time would be his last time leaving Galilee and his last time going to Jerusalem because he knew he was going to Jerusalem to die. And the Bible says that he had set his mind on going to Jerusalem. In other words, there was no changing his mind. He knew this leg of his journey was to be his last journey. And he was heading to Jerusalem. So this is the backstory. This is what's going on as we begin to read this story. He's leaving Galilee, going to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he's in a city between Galilee, a border village, excuse me, between Galilee and between Samaria. Those things are important and I'm gonna bring them out in a moment. But this is what he's doing. He's in between Samaria, in between the the lower part of Galilee. Verse 12. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He's going his way to die. He's on his way to fulfill all that the scripture said about him. And as he enters into this little border village, 10 men from a distance are yelling out to him, Have mercy on us. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Why at a distance? But in the Bible, if you had the disease called leprosy, you are considered unclean. Even by the law of Moses, the law that the Jewish people lived under, you were considered unclean. As a matter of fact, if you had leprosy and you were entering into a place where there were people who did not have leprosy, you literally had to yell out to them that you were unclean. And they would avoid them, they would, they would shun you because you were in a sense quarantined for the rest of your life. They shied away from people. So if you had leprosy, this was no small thing. How many of you remember COVID? How many of you remember having COVID? Remember that moment when you all of a sudden can't smell and you go, oh no. Are you eating your favorite food and you just don't taste it? I'll tell you how, the first time I had COVID, this is how I knew I had it. I was changing my youngest daughter's diaper and I'm just changing and everything's fine and my two older daughters walk in and go, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And I was like, what? Oh no. That's exactly what happened. And then you begin the process of four days having to quarantine yourself away from human life and human existence, right? 
Some of you quarantine as a family, others of you have to quarantine away from your family and be alone, away from all human interaction. Remember how hard, how tough that was? Remember how lonely that felt? Remember how anytime you went around someone, you had to let them know, hey, by the way, I had COVID. That was the phone call of shame. Every time you had to call someone and say, hey, that gathering I was at, I just want to let you know, I just found out I have COVID. Oh my gosh. And people would either respond with, okay, I'm praying for you, or what? Why did you, why didn't, why did you do this? Well, clearly I didn't do it on purpose. Right? And so, remember that feeling. Imagine that feeling for the rest of your life. That's what it was like to have leprosy. One day, Everything's fine. This man probably had families, probably had kids, had careers, had aspirations, things that they dreamed about doing one day. One day. And all of that was ruined in one moment when they woke up and saw a spot on their skin. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything in life as they knew it changed because they would then have to present themselves to a priest and the priest would say that's leprosy and they would label them unclean. And that process began, the slow process of that, whatever that dot was, spreading all throughout your body and possibly even eating away your flesh. Some of them would lose limbs. It would consume their lives. And leprosy really is a picture in the Bible of sin. Because sin starts small and spreads throughout, consuming everything that it can, making us unclean. That's what these 10 men did for the rest of their life. Imagine that, never hugging your kid again. Knowing that the moment you saw this, you would never be able to kiss your spouse again. The job that you'd worked so hard for, maybe the family business that you continued the line, the lineage of your family doing this thing. We're fishermen, we're stone workers, or we're this. Imagine having to leave all of that because of a dot. Never being able to go into the market again where everyone else is without utterly clearing the market when you come. They couldn't even go to church or in their day really sent the synagogue in the open settings where everyone else was. They couldn't go because they were unclean. So the synagogue, some of them I believe would put a special area, a little box area that they could come and maybe worship God, but they couldn't be in the general population because they were unclean. Life as they knew it changed because they were unclean until one day hope came. A man named Jesus, who they had heard about, came walking through their remote little village. Can you imagine the joy that filled them, or the hope, or maybe even the anxiety that filled them when they heard Jesus was coming? Because they had heard up until this point, this man can heal the sick, this man can cast out demons, this man can do miracles. He multiplied fish and loaves and all of these incredible things. Maybe, just maybe, this man will help us. Maybe he'll help us. It was interesting to note about this is that, again, these 10 men, 
ironically enough, were in a village that bordered Samaria and they bordered Galilee. The Galileans were Jewish people. The Samaritans, Samaria was full of Samaritans. Who were the Samaritans? Samaritans were the mixed breeds. They were the people that the Jewish people had no dealings with because they looked at them as second-rate, second-class because they were once a part of Israel, but because of God's judgment, I won't go into all of the story, but they were the northern kingdom and they were judged by God and they began to intermingle and intermarry with all of the different races and religions, not religions, but yeah, religions too, of the Assyrian army. And so they were no longer a pure Jewish person. They were now considered the mixed breeds, the Samaritans, they were less than. And there was even a conflict between them as to where God was supposed to be worshiped, in the temple for the Jews or on the mountain for the Samaritans. And there was animosity and hate and frustration and bigotry and judgment between those two people. Yet this 10 group of men bound themselves together, Jews and Samaritans. Pastor, why are you telling us that? What does that have to do with the story? Because I want you to see that pain and loss has a way of unifying people in ways that joy can't. As a pastor, I get the privilege of being in people's lives in the best moments of their life and in the worst moments of their life. I get the joy of doing weddings. And I'll tell you this, weddings and baby dedications and family reunions and business openings All are great things, but they don't have the same power of unifying a family the way that a funeral does. Pain and loss has a way of causing you to put aside your petty differences and those petty arguments that you've had with your family over the years. You throw all of that out of the water when you're grieving together, when you've lost something together. Why? Because when you lose something, you need someone else by your side that is going through what you're going through. You just need to know that somebody's hurting like I'm hurting. And we're hurting together. And I, I know I said this in the beginning, but if, you, if that's you, if this is a season of life where it's a painful season for you, don't go through that alone. Let someone help you. Walk through it with someone. But nonetheless, these 10 group, these 10 men were in a very mixed group of people. Now, Jesus had already shown that he came as well to reach the Samaritans later on in his ministry from the early part. He began reaching out to the Samaritans, the Samaritan woman, different stories where Jesus reached them. These 10 men hurting, painful, all had the same plea. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, this is what it says. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. If you notice, Jesus didn't come to them and lay hands on them and pray for them. Jesus simply said, go show yourself to the priest. In other words, they didn't, he didn't heal them in the moment. He told them what to do. Now, why is this important? Because in that day, again, the same way that the priest could say that you're unclean, if you were somehow miraculously healed or the disease naturally went away, you had to go to the priest and show yourself to the priest. And the priest would then 
do it once over of you, look over you, and make sure that the disease was gone. And if the disease was gone, then they could label you clean and say, you can now go back into normal society. So when Jesus said, go to the priest, he wasn't telling them something that was so off the wall and strange. What he was telling them was, go find your healing. Go get, you're going to be healed. Go present yourself to the priest so you can be normal again. Now, I want you to see this. They did it. They did what he asked them to do. That in and of itself was an act of faith. It took faith for them because he didn't just heal them in a moment. They had to go see the priest and the Bible's getting ready to tell us that as they were going, as they were heading in a direction to obey Jesus, that's when they were healed. That's when they looked down and realized the spots are gone. My body's regenerated. I'm back to normal, my skin is normal. They were healed in an instance, in a moment. Pastor, why, what's significant about that? Sometimes things don't happen in our lives until we obey God. Sometimes things don't happen in our life until we actually, by faith, do what he's asked us to do. Some of your prayers are, God, heal my marriage. Please, Lord, heal my marriage. And God wants you to obey what his word says about marriage so that your marriage can be healed. Start doing it his way, his blueprint. Obey what he said so that you can be healed. Others of us, God, I'm praying for a job and you haven't put out the first application. (laughs) Step out in faith. They had to they had to operate in faith in order to receive the healing that Jesus had for them. So they did. And when they did, they were healed. Now, just imagine that for a moment. After all of those things, all of the pain, all the loss, he just restored everything back to them. They can now hug their kids again. They can now kiss their spouse again. They can now go back to work again. They can now mix in the marketplace and in the synagogues. He restored their life to them in a moment, in an instant. They obeyed him and that's what happened. And as amazing as that story is, as incredible as that is, that's not where the story ends, nor is it the main point of the story. Because the next verse reveals something to us. Up until this moment, we've been talking about them and their loss and all that they went through and their, their demographic and all of the things that divided them and how they came. We've been talking about them, but now we're getting ready to learn something about God and who he is and what's important to him. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. Ten men were healed. One man came back. And he knelt down. The Bible is getting ready to tell us in verse 16. But he knelt down at Jesus' feet, worshiping and praising. And let me just tell you, that was not a golf clap for Jesus praise. That was a you just healed my life praise. That was a gut from your gut, from the depth of your soul and your emotions type of praise and admonition and worship. Adoration, excuse me, and worship to him. It's the difference, parents, between when you get your kid a gift and they look at you and they say, thanks, 
versus when they well up with tears, run up and give you a big hug and cry in your arms because they're so grateful for what you gave them. That was the difference. It was that type of worship. Verse 16, he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And then the Bible tells us something. This man was a Samaritan. Why did it tell us that? I'll tell you that in a moment. He's worshiping at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he just restored in his life. And then the Bible tells us he was a Samaritan. Now, culturally speaking, Jesus was not even supposed to be near this man, number one, because he was a Samaritan, number two, because he had leprosy. And they broke all kind of rules when this man came and laid at Jesus' feet and worshiped him. Why is this important? Because there was no entitlement in this man. He was not a Jew. He wasn't expecting that Jesus came and did anything for him. He was not supposed to do that. What am I trying to get you to see? We worship the best when we realize what we don't deserve. When we realize that everything that he's done for us, he didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it because you deserve it. He did it because he's good. And he did that because he is good. Maybe at times you felt that way. Nobody accepts me, Pastor. I'm, I'm rejected by everybody. If people knew the real me, I feel like I'm such an outcast. Maybe you are to everyone, but I'm telling you that I know that I know that I know he won't reject you if you come to him. He will not reject you. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've come from, doesn't matter the type of lifestyle that you live, he loves you and he wants you to come to him. That is the God that we serve, that's the Jesus that we serve. He came and he laid himself at Jesus' feet and he worshiped. But here's what I want you to know about God, and this is important. Verse 17, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Jesus made it a point to say, wait a minute, there were 10 lepers and there's only one of you here worshiping. Where are the other nine? He acknowledged this. Can I help you with something in the Bible? When God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Even from the beginning of time, when God showed up in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve sinned and God said, Adam, where are you? And he asked them later on, what have you done? It wasn't because he didn't know. When God asks us a question, it's not because we, he needs to learn the answer, it's because we need to learn the answer. So he asked this question, where are the other nine? Didn't I heal 10 men? Our hearts get revealed by questions like this. Let me help you. When we worship God on Sunday mornings and we have in the worship team, which I believe is the most incredible worship team around, I absolutely love our worship team. But when we're up here and they're leading songs of praise and leading songs of worship, let me help you. This is not the concert portion of the church. This is not, we're not filling time before we actually get to the message. This is not the interlude where you go and get your coffee and your popcorn. That's not what this is. 
When they're up here leading songs of worship, this is time that we take out of our normally scheduled lives to join with our brothers and our sisters that he's also healed, to corporately sing our praises to our king. It is a vitally important part of your week. It is a vitally important, important part of this service and of our lives. It's corporate worship. It's when the 10 lepers come and lay down at his feet and say, thank you for what you've done for us. That's what our worship services are. Are y'all with me this morning? We worship him not because we feel like it. We worship him because he's worthy of it. You may come in here at times and not feel like singing, but it's not about what you feel. It's about what he's done. That's why we sing these praises. That's why we lift our hands. That's why that, certain, that person next to you makes you uncomfortable and every now and then they shout and you kind of look at them and then you, because they have something to shout about. There's something to be grateful for. There's moments when I'm sitting back and I'm just in tears doing worship, thinking about what he's done for me. This morning in our first service, and this, I could not have planned this any better. Yesterday you guys heard about our Thanksgiving outreach and we gave out Many, I don't even remember the count, I don't even know the count of how many boxes of Thanksgiving meals, hundreds of meals that we sent out. Unbeknownst to me, I came in to service and that's right before I preached, a young woman came up to me in the 8.30 service with tears in her eyes and said, Pastor Gabe, thank you so much for that Thanksgiving meal. You have no idea. We needed this so badly. And with tears in her eyes, crying, I hugged her and told her how much God loved her. That's why she received that, because God cares for her and loves her. Blessed is that woman. She took the time to come back and say thank you. She's the one out of the 10. And may we all be the one out of the 10 who comes back and says thank you for what you've done for me. You didn't have to do that, but you did. Sing that song, Great is His Faithfulness. Why? Because He is faithful, even when we don't deserve it. And even, I feel, I feel like sometimes as pastors, we do you a, a great disservice when we try to convince you why you need to come be in church. You need to come and worship with us because it'll help you feel better, it, you know, the me- melatonin or whatever it is, your endorphins and all this stuff, and you have great emotional reactions, and where's Jenna at? Where's Jenna? It'll help with your neural pathways and your neuroplasticity and all this stuff. And we tell you all the benefits for why you should come and worship God. Instead of telling you to come and worship God because he deserves it. Because he's worthy of it. And we spend our time trying to convince you why you should worship the very God that created you and redeemed you from your sin. Great is his faithfulness. That's why we worship. Not because we're so great, but because he is. Now back to this group of people. As I mentioned before, they had faith. They took Jesus at his word and they obeyed him. They had faith, but what they didn't have was gratitude. They had great faith, but they had horrible gratitude. Now, you can believe every promise in the Bible that's for you is for you. You can believe Jesus came in the flesh as a man, died on the cross for your sins, 
rose again from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven at the, and now sits at the right hand of the Father and sent the Holy Spirit and commissioned you and every promise that he made in that book was for you. You can believe all of those things and have that faith and still not be grateful for what he did. You can have the faith and not have the gratitude. And I just have a question for you, is that you? Is that you? Have you forgotten what he's done for you? Have you forgotten the price that he paid for you? You've forgotten just how messed up we were before him. Have you forgotten that doctor's appointment that he showed up and gave you grace through? Have you forgotten that you prayed and begged him for that kid that you complained about? Have you forgotten that when you asked God to heal your marriage, he did? That when you were depressed, he pulled you out of it. Have you forgotten how faithful he's been to you? I'll tell you what Jesus didn't do. Let me read verse 18 to you first, actually. Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? This is what Jesus said. Again, if you want to know how God is, look at Jesus. Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? He was not a Jew. He was ostracized. Yet he's the one who came back and worshiped. The most grateful people are the ones who realize they don't deserve it. The most grateful people are the ones who realize just how messed up they were without him. If you find a person with gratitude, it's, it's attractive. You want to be around someone like that. And also, let me help you with this. It is really hard to be miserable when you're overwhelmed with gratitude. When you're overwhelmed with all that God has given you, instead of focusing on the things that you no longer have or you don't have, that you've been wanting. Those are the people who are the most grateful to God. Now, this is what Jesus did not say. He didn't say, hey, you know what? I know your heart. You didn't have to come back and say thank you. You don't, thank you, I appreciate that, stand up. It's, you're good, just, just wanted, no, no, no. He made it a point to say, where were the rest that I healed? Well, that seems kind of mean, he's God. And he has the right to hold you accountable for the gratitude that you are not giving him. And that's what he said. He said, where are they? Verse 19, Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. He held those other nine men accountable for the worship they did not give him. And he praised the one man for the worship he did give. This Thanksgiving, I want you to develop a grateful heart. I want you to look around and see all that he's given you. When you're with your family, I want you to try something different. Maybe when you're with your parents that you feel like did not give you what you deserved as a kid, I want you to choose to show them gratitude for what they did give you. Maybe when you're with your spouse, instead of nitpicking the fact that they are not everything that you expect them to be, maybe be grateful for what they have done and how they have tried. He may not be the most emotionally available, but thank you for being a provider. She may always complain to you about things that you're not doing, 
but thank you for taking care of our home. Thank you for calling me up because you want me to be a better man than I'm willing to settle for. Thank you. Thank you to your kids. Thank you to your family. Develop a grateful heart. And let me just tell you this. As much as I want you to develop a grateful heart for the people around you, what I'm really talking about is developing a grateful heart to God who's done everything for you. Do the, let me ask you a question. Do you think that those nine who went away, do you think they weren't grateful in their hearts? I think they were. How could they not be? I think they had gratitude. But gratitude is not gratitude unless it's expressed. Some of you need to get that. Gratitude, people do not know how grateful you are until you express to them that you're grateful. Gratitude is a verb. You show gratitude, you express gratitude. And I challenge you to express your gratitude to God for all that he's done. He's been faithful to you. Even in ways that you may not have, you don't even recognize. You don't recognize the accidents he's kept you from. You don't recognize the people he's put in your path to help you that you have even yet to discover that that's the help that you need, that he's already sovereignly placed around you. Great is his faithfulness. And Jesus said, where were the other nine? Is it just this man? Your faith has made you well. I think sometimes we don't show gratitude to people because we feel like it will make us less than. No, it doesn't. It makes you more than. When you show honor and express, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It means you're an honorable person who shows honor. And when you express that worship to God, it honors your Father in heaven and it puts your attention on all that he has done for you instead of the things that you wish that he would have done for you. He's a faithful God. So I challenge you, believers, let this be a season that you go back to God and you show gratitude. When we're in here worshiping, don't just look at Damar and go, I wonder what his hair is gonna look like today. I don't know. Use that as your moment to join with what he's saying and what Jenna's saying and what Cody is saying and the team is saying and sing praise to him. Some of you need to go home and close the door in your room and get down on your knees and just spend some time saying thank you. You didn't have to do what you did for me. Thank you. I didn't deserve what you did for me. Thank you. I think back to where I was at 16 years old when he rescued a hurting, angry, bitter, sexually immoral, in trouble with the police, all of these. He rescued a kid going nowhere and gave my life meaning and saved me. He didn't have to do that, but he did because he's faithful and because he loved me. So remember what he's done. Remember where he found you. And then I want to tell you this story. It's a legend. It may be accurate, it may not be, but I think it proves my point all the more. It's a story of a Prussian 
train conductor or switcher. Every day this man would go to his job and his job was to conduct the trains and send them in the direction that they needed to go. And he would go up, he'd pull the levers and the train tracks would move and they would go where they needed to go. This was his job every day. This one day in particular, he's going up to his tower, he's climbing his tower and he brought his son with him to work. The son's sitting in the booth with him and he's, he's speaking to the different trains as they're coming and this one's coming, this one's passing and he's making sure everything goes where it needs to go. And then he heard a blood-curdling scream that he will never forget. And he looked away for his son, looked around, and his son was no longer in the booth with him. His son had fallen onto one of the train tracks. And he thought to himself, not a big deal, I can go get him. He's, he obviously is caught because he couldn't obey his dad and get up and get out of it. He was caught on something. And then the dad heard another sound that he will never forget. It was the sound of a passenger train coming on that train track. And in an instance, he was faced with a decision. Do I not pull this lever? If I don't pull this lever, excuse me, if I pull this lever, I can detour the train and send them in a different direction. But if I send them in another direction, it's possible that they will come head on head on collision with another train. But if I don't pull this lever, this train is going to crush my son. And he didn't have minutes, he had seconds to make this decision. And in that moment, he chose to let his son die. And he watched in agonizing pain as that passenger train filled with hundreds of people rode down that train track not even paying attention to what was on the train track, never paying attention to their surroundings, just living their life like normal. As he watched them, realizing they would possibly never know what he did so that they could live. It's not a perfect story, but because of one thing, one reason that separates us from being a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about is the fact that God the Father did this, but he did it on purpose. He sent his son to die so that you can have life. He chose this. He ordained it so that you could have life, so that you could be healed, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have a right relationship with God the Father. And not only that, your sins be forgiven, but have eternal life with him and actually be what God created us to be, his very sons and daughters. He killed and crucified his son so that you could have that life. And many people every day pass on that train track as if it never existed, as if it never happened. So for the child of God in this room, remember what he did for you. But for the person far away from him, maybe this is the first time that you're hearing this. That's what God did for you. That's what he did so that you can have life. So that 
you could be free from your sins. You could be free from the bondages and the addictions and the hurts and the woundings and all that even your own choices have led you to. He came to free you from that. We call that being born again. And Jesus said it this way. He said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And every week we, we preach this and we share this same story over and over and over again to glorify him and to give you the opportunity to have new life. And we say it's as easy as ABC to be born again. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That you don't excuse it away. You don't pretend like it doesn't exist. You're honest. There's sin in my life. And the sins that I've committed, I've knowingly committed, and those things have separated me from a holy God. And B, you believe, you believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on that cross for your sin, for you, so that you could be forgiven and cleansed and healed. And C, you confess. Confess what? That he is who he said he is. That he rose again on the third day that he is now Lord of your life and that you will follow him because that is the call of God. Look up here as I'm closing. His call is simple. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. That's what many of you in this room, as you hear this, that pricking of your heart, that challenging, that is his call. Come and follow me. That's you. I want to pray for you. I want everybody in this place to close your eyes and to bow your heads. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that beckoning call from heaven to follow him. And I want to lead you in a prayer that walks you through those ABCs. And I want to lead you to Jesus. But nobody looking around on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to. And that's you to just please lift up your hand because I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. And all of us are going to pray this prayer out loud together. Say these words with me. And I'm going to lead you in that prayer. But first, let me acknowledge who I'm praying with. On the count of three, if that's you, I want you to lift up your hand. If you say, Pastor, that's me. One, two, three. Include me in that prayer, Pastor. I want to pray. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. I see your hand back there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Praise God. I see your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands going up all. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand back there. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you, young lady. Praise God. You can put him down. If you did not raise your hand that first time, but you say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. I didn't before because I was nervous. I was scared, but I want, I want to surrender my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want eternal life. If you didn't raise it before, lift it now. One, two, three, lift it up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, thank you. Hands going up everywhere. Thank you, ma'am, thank you, ma'am. You can put them down. I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. It's not the words that are magical. It's a surrendered heart and it's what he did on the cross that's going to give you eternal life. In this moment, you're getting ready to become the child of God. Pray these words with me, everyone. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. On the cross, you did die for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. 
I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. And I will follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer.